0: Hello and welcome to the CBJ podcast. Welcome back. I'm Brandon, joined by Jason. Uh, unfortunately, Cam can't join us, but we got a special guest to uh, fill a spot for at least 10-15 minutes. It's a uh, New England Revolution reporter and writer, Elizabeth Bahoda. So thank you, Elizabeth, for joining us. Uh, after we uh, finish our Q&A, we will Jason and I will be talking about uh, the All-Star, uh, who who made it, who didn't. And our our snubs, and uh, we'll end with sports updates, and that's a wrap on episode 20. So, with that, I'm going to hand it to Elizabeth to talk about herself, and then we'll jump into the Q&A.
1: Thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm so excited to be your first female guest on your podcast, and what an honor it is to be here with you guys. So, as you mentioned, I'm the New England Revolution reporter, host, and writer. So. I essentially work in the digital department for uh, the Revs, and I do a little bit of everything, but most of the people who see the Revs know me for being on camera. So this is typically what I do. I also used to work for the Boston Celtics as an in-arena host and a professional cheerleader. um, And before that, I worked at an advertising agency and account management. So I switched a little bit career paths heading into the reporting field. I also went to Boston College, big sports fan there. I cheered there for a couple of years, and I also did MCA and in arena hosting uh for the Eagles. So any other BC fans out there, go Eagles.
0: All right. Yeah, we love uh the uh support of uh our Boston College Eagles. We don't give a lot of support to a lot of college places. We talk about mostly it's the professional, but uh we do uh give some shouts college every once in a while. So, I'll start us off and then Jason you can uh, ask the second question. So, uh, We asked Jeff uh, this, he's been working with the Rebs for a lot longer than you have, but um, I want to know what has been your favorite memory since you started covering the Rebs?
1: My favorite Uh, memory was in September, 2019. It was my second year and we had just clinched our first playoff berth in like five years for the team. So it was a really big moment. Uh, Our designated player, Gustavo Bo, who's been a rock star for this team since he joined in 2019, scored a dramatic late winner with a rocket finish, and it was just an incredible moment to see the camaraderie with the team, the fans, and the stands, and it's just a moment that I'll never forget, being able to make it to the playoffs in such dramatic fashion, and I think having the fans there, obviously this year was so different with the COVID-19 pandemic, but having the fans there to celebrate meant so much, and I think you know, not that you ever take things for granted, but looking at how we spent 2020, you know, at working in the stadium and fans having to stay home and watch the games, it was so nice to celebrate that moment with them.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, watching that moment. It was definitely a special, unfortunately, we did lose in that first round to Atlanta, but yeah, uh, the Rebs made a great run last year and uh, hopefully uh, things to come. Jason, you want to take the second question?
2: Yeah, um, just to add on to that, that was a big moment like you mentioned, and feel like it's only going uphill from here, and that actually goes into our next question, which is about uh, what is your outlook on the Reds for the upcoming season? Like, what are your expectations for them? How far do you think they'll go? Uh, big improvement, maybe a bit downhill, or anything like that?
1: I think that the Reds are going to have a chance at the championship this year. They have done a lot of work in the offseason. Head coach and sporting director Bruce Arena has brought in a lot of new faces that are going to add to the current lineup. I think that last year, uh, Arena told us that when he came into the squad last year and right before that first playoff game that they went into in 2020, he, the first thing he said to the players was if I had told you at the beginning of this season that you would be heading to the Eastern conference finals right now, would you have believed me? And all of them, you know, they took that question to heart and they were like, you know, we're not sure if we would have, but I think this year, because of how successful they were last season, they, have a belief in themselves. And I think they're starting out with that from the start. And I think that's gonna be a big differentiator moving forward. I also think that with a healthy Carlos Heel and Gustavo Bo, who as I'm sure you guys know are two of our key players. They're designated players for anyone who might not know them. Um, they're going to be healthy and fully fit. And last year we had to play the majority of the season without them because they both were pretty injury ridden throughout the year. So I think having those two healthy is going to be huge this season. And I think just from speaking with the players and interviews that there's this belief there that they can go all the way. They're so excited to get back to work. And it almost feels like they're picking up right where they left off at the end of 2020 because they were proud of their accomplishments and they're really looking forward to building upon them this year.
0: Yeah, we know that uh, injury to Carlos definitely uh, um, took, uh, uh, it was definitely hard on the Rebs, but we saw that once they came back and both him and uh, Gustavo Bowen, they were healthy. We saw a great playoff run, and I think uh, yeah. that's just uh, the start of great things to come. So moving on from the sport uh, Revs part, I want to ask you, what is the biggest challenge in being a writer and reporter?
1: Oh, the biggest challenge of being a writer and a reporter. I think that the biggest challenge is probably, uh, hmm, I think making sure that you have everything factual and timely is the biggest challenge. So not that those are difficult things to do, but you want to make sure that you're getting both of those as accurate as possible and doing it in a timely fashion. So that means when news breaks, you have to be on top of it right away. You're always monitoring social media to keep up with what's going on. Um, So when you're writing stories and getting quotes, you just wanna be up to date. And I think making sure that you're plugged in is one of those things that's challenging, but really rewarding. Um, And also when you have certain interviews, when you interview certain players or coaches, everybody has a different interview style. Some people are very curt, to the point, other people like to talk a lot more. So I think also getting to know the people that you're interviewing in the sense of how they respond to questions and what will elicit more emotional and detailed responses. It's challenging, but it's it, it's something that I personally love and thrive off of. It's, it's I don't know, I get a little rush when you get a great answer out of a player because you ask a really good
0: question. And I think uh, sometimes uh, it's hard when they speak different languages and yes. you don't get that direct conversation like uh, Carlos and Gustavo. So uh, a reporter is definitely hard, but uh, uh, what you do, uh, we thank you for all that you do as a, Uh, Rebs fan.
2: Jason, you want to ask the next question? Yeah, so staying on the topic of reporting, what do you find being the biggest difference between reporting in soccer for the MLS or reporting in basketball for um, NCAA as well as WNBA?
1: I think the biggest difference, at least basketball and soccer obviously are really different sports, but I think the biggest difference is the soccer season is so much longer. Um, just from a holistic perspective it goes on for you know uh, what is it close to 10 months usually um, versus the, any basketball season is a lot shorter but you have a lot more games within that time frame so uh, I think that's one of the biggest differences for me as a reporter is like knowing the longevity and the different types of pieces if you have to do I feel like when I was working for the WNBA and NCAA that it was a little bit more game specific because you had so many games in quick succession versus with the soccer season, it's usually drawn out over a lot more period of time. So you can do some additional more detailed features because there's a longer period of time between games. Uh, and they're, they're very cool. They're very different. I, I think uh, the WNBA was cool. The players, you know, getting to go in their locker room and talk to them has a much different vibe than the NBA or MLS or whatever kind of sports league that you're talking about. They're very down to earth. And I think that was really cool, especially for me as a woman who loves sports to be able to cover teams that are also female sports. Um, that was something that I, I really cherished, And honestly, it, it kind of kickstarted my career in sports.
0: Yeah, and soccer usually you play every weekend and, and
1: yeah. Basketball exactly. you're uh,
0: getting games like every other day. So uh Exactly. Definitely <laughs> different and basketball, you're just like a uh, lot go, go, go in soccer. So uh, slow down. I'm gonna uh I have one more question and it's um about Henry Kessler. So he sure. came in last year um in the super draft and a lot of times the super draft isn't something that sparks a player in one to two years uh what did you see from Henry last year that um was just like different than most super uh draft players
1: Henry was a really special player from day one and I distinctly remember the first time I realized it last year was during preseason because we would speak with him pretty frequently because he was getting minutes and he hadn't made his first real appearance in a game yet but these were obviously you know they were scrimmages. They were against the other teams, but they weren't at the professional level yet. And every single time that coach arena told him to fix something, he implemented it the very next game. So he, he talked about the different styles between college and then playing professionally and uh, arena wanted him to sit on his line. He didn't want him to get too high. Anytime arena asked him to make an adjustment, he would implement it very, very quickly. And that was something that I think really enabled him to be so successful this year, aside from the skill set that he has, because he is a very talented player from the start. I think his learning ability to pick up things quickly and practice them and put them into games is what enabled him to be so successful because he didn't make mistakes over and over. Once he made one, he learned from it. And then he was able to adjust and he was able to add and build on his game that way. And he just has a really big hunger to learn, which I think is something that also helps him in, in this season. Uh, And I'm looking forward to seeing all the success that he had had this year carry over to next year. I really love seeing him get called up to uh, the U23 U S men's national team. I thought that was really, really well-deserved. He's such a good person too. Very nice person.
0: I uh, actually lied on that one. This is for real. The last question that actually.
1: That's okay. Feel free to ask as many as you want.
0: (laughs) That was actually a great transition. And uh, we saw, uh, Matt Turner getting his first U.S. men's national mm-hmm. team appearance. And I want to know your thoughts from uh, covering him and just like you've seen him play for the Revs and for the U.S. men's national team. What does that game and that uh, do moving forward? And how does that he help the Revs going forward?
1: Yeah, uh, Turner is an incredible player. We actually both started for the Revs in the – or not started. He got his first start professionally for the Revs, when I first started working for the team in 2018 and seeing his progression from that moment to that U.S. Men's National Team game that you mentioned has been incredible. Um, I cannot say enough good things about him. He is an incredible person, a really humble guy, and I think that's something that has also helped his career because he's very talented. He is very down to earth, and like I mentioned with Henry, he looks to build on every single game. If if you're having a game where, say, there's the revs won 4-1, okay? he's not going to celebrate that 4-1 win. He's going to think about that one goal he conceded and how he can make that better. So he really like looks at what he does in games, analyzes that, and uses it to move forward. And I think this year you really saw what he could do in the 2020 season because he's an incredible shot stopper. He's the type of guy that's going to be able to make the saves no matter where they are in the net no matter what the odds are that are stacked against him, he is able to make those big game-changing saves that keep the revs able to win matches. And I think that when the, the U.S. men's national team realized his caliber, and I think giving him that chance with uh, the Trinidad and Tobago game was huge for him because he let's if you're looking at that game pretty honestly, he didn't have to do too much. He was only called upon for that penalty save. That was his moment to shine, and he did. And I actually interviewed him after that game, and he told me that you know, he had this calm collected energy that kind of came over him when that penalty was called. He was excited for it, but he felt calm and he felt confident that he could make it. And he felt that he proved to not only himself, but the coaching staff at the national level, what he can do. And he just hopes to carry that moving forward. So I think that he's going to be able to translate a lot into his game this year. I think that uh, he's feeling confident coming off of that game with the U S men's national team. And I think that he's really excited about his career. He's really young for a goalkeeper goalkeepers tend to be able to play for a lot longer. He's only, he's only 26 years old. So being at this spot in his career, when he's 26 years old, there's so much to look forward to. And one of the biggest things about him as well, I'm not sure how much you guys know about his backstory, but he only started playing soccer 10 years ago. So I'm not sure how old you guys are, but. I think it was when he was around 16 was like the first time that he started playing soccer, which is pretty crazy. Um, And to to see how much progression he's had in 10 years to, you know, being uh, able to play in college for his last two years at Fairfield University to being undrafted, winning the starting goalkeeper role for the revolution in 2018. And then only three years later, making his first ever national team cap. It's just incredible. And I think seeing the quick uh, succession that he's built up, it's only going to continue to grow from here.
0: I just remember those times when uh, that time when you guys first called up to uh, play for the Reds, uh, yeah, I, think, uh, I was a little surprised. And then I didn't know who Matt Turner was, and so uh, that was definitely um, great that he got that experience with the U.S. men's national team. Jason, do you want to ask what reporting was like with no fans this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, fans obviously were not there this year, so it's definitely. different environment is what I would call it
1: Mm -hmm. because
2: the fans add so much to the game. We know all those chants that the Revs have in the fort at Gillette Stadium as always. So what did reporting feel like without the fans this year?
1: You know it was really really interesting. It's crazy because when you go into a sports game you expect that big atmosphere and when I say atmosphere you know I'm thinking about the crowd cheering the music playing the players being pumped up just even like things from the smell of the food that's kind of in the arena that you see as you're going around it just wasn't there this year and it almost felt a little eerie at first when we were walking in the stadium um, just because it was so empty and you're so used to that atmosphere that adds to it uh, we really, really miss the fans. I can't wait for everybody to be back in the fort this year. Uh, the Gillette Stadium, they just announced that they're going to be having fans in 12% capacity um, for the season, which is really, really exciting because to be able to bring fans back into the arena is going to add so much. I also think it's going to help the players. I think it's going to help them in their game just having that, those cheers, those chants that you guys mentioned when players score. I think that's going to go a long way. Um, And I personally love having the fans there. I can't wait for them to come back. But I'm so happy that even though fans weren't able to be here in 2020, that we were able to bring the experience home to them and they were able to see sports and we were all able to enjoy a culture that we love with soccer without being together. Because I think that was one of those things that kept everybody connected. Um, and we, we tried to stay connected with the fans as much as possible on social media and doing co- different kinds of giveaways and just trying to stay connected in different ways. So it was definitely challenging last year, not having them there because we love having fans with us. It makes the atmosphere so much better, but I know that we're going to get back to that really soon. And I think the players are really excited about that as well.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, as a season member fan, I'm excited to get back on the field and it was definitely unique. And, uh, I think we saw that the, the rev says, uh, they won only a couple games last year at home. That, yeah, fans really make that home field advantage, uh, important. And it's
1: true, it's true. They said, uh, because this year we are traveling regionally as a whole, MLS really felt like the home field advantage didn't make as big of a difference this year because fans weren't at stadiums.
0: Yeah, so we'll see what comes, and we're happy that, uh, we're able to move in this step uh, as a we're still fighting this COVID-19 uh, vaccine. Uh, that's going to do it for our questions. We're gonna, thank you again, Elizabeth, for joining us. And uh, in the uh, description box of our, uh, both me and Jason will uh, link uh, to her uh, Twitter and uh, what she does. She does great. Check her out on revolutionsoccer.net. And uh, thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, guys. I, I'm so happy I was able to speak with you, Brandon and Jason. And I hope that you guys have a lot of success moving forward with your podcast. Thank you for having me be the first female on. I feel so honored. And you guys are so great and have such great careers ahead of you. So good for you guys. And I hope that I'll see you at a refs game soon.
0: Awesome. Thank so you so much. Once again, thank you, Elizabeth, for joining us. And that will end our Q&A segment with Elizabeth Fajoda.
2: Okay, that is going to take us into our next segment of the show. Thank you, Elizabeth, so much for joining us once again. And now we are going into our NBA topics. Uh, Today, we're mainly focusing on the NBA All-Star Game. We're going to get into a preview as it is happening in, I guess, less than two weeks now. So All-Star captains, they were voted by the fans um, and also the players and the media, they that's how the players were chosen for the West. No surprise there; it was LeBron James, well deserved. And the um, what Eastern Conference? Kevin Durant. However, he is injured. But due to the um votes, most of the votes in second place came went to uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. So, since Katie is out, it will be Giannis most likely captaining. I don't believe it has been announced officially, but that should be. Uh, He should be the captain there. So thoughts on two all-star captains. Uh, Deserving anyone else you like this scene besides LeBron and KD slash Giannis. Uh, Brandon, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, so my thoughts on this was actually before I knew about KD with um, Giannis probably going to take over. I was going to say, I actually think Giannis should have been it because KD has been injured a lot this year. He has played great when he has played with Kyrie and now uh, Harden, who's now in the Nets. But I don't know if he is deserving of captain and uh, because of that injury. And like Steph Curry last year, he, I don't really know what, um, he didn't do well last year. He was injured last year and he didn't, I don't think he made the starters, uh, all-star starters because he was injured. And I think, um, it was all because the fans liked KD, they picked him. So I, I personally believe that um, KD should have, um, I mean, Giannis should have gone instead of KD.
2: Yeah, that's a good argument. For me, the only reason that I would say no to Giannis was um, there's actually a few reasons. One is that he was the All Star captain twice in a row. So I think they'd want a bit more of a variety. And second would be when all these votes came in. For the starters, the Bucks were on a huge losing streak. They were 16 and 13, only three games above 500. They're starting to turn around now, um, even though they're missing uh, a big piece in Drew Holiday, who's looked like a star this year. Um, I think Giannis has been phenomenal. He's showing no signs of decline. He's only getting better. But for me, it's the standings that tell a lot of the story. And I think Kevin Durant was very well deserving. He's the best player in the Eastern Conference by far on the team that I think will go to the Eastern Conference Finals and win and go to the NBA Finals. So I actually think instead of Giannis for number two, I feel like it should have maybe been Joel Embiid. I know that is a hot take, um, but Joel Embiid to me has been the MVP this year and uh, he's averaging close to like 30 and 13 and the Sixers, they go as far as Embiid takes him. But we look at teams like the Nets and the Bucks. they have some other stars outside of that. Sure, the Sixers have a star in Ben Simmons and borderline star in Tobias Harris and some other good role pieces. But like Joel Embiid has been so valuable to his team this year. So I think Embiid could be number two in that race. And then over the West, I think it's not disputable for LeBron getting in there. I think number two, for me, it has to be Steph Curry because he's actually number two in my MVP voting. Up around the same numbers as he did in his unanimous MVP year, um, which like no players can really say that they've won a unanimous MVP. So Steph has been great. Um, but LeBron is the more popular player, so um I think that is why he got that spot. Uh all-star starters, we're just gonna take a look at that. We know LeBron and Katie were the starters of the West. Alongside LeBron, Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic and Kawhi Leonard. The East is KD, Giannis, Bradley Beal, Joel Embiid, and Kyrie Irving, but since Kevin Durant is going to be out through the All-Star break, there will be an injury replacement for Kevin Durant coming from the bench, the one and only Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics, which as a Celtics fan, we are thrilled to hear that as the Celtics have not been too great lately, so it is great to hear that good news. So, Brandon, initial thoughts to the All-Star stars from both sides. Did anyone in particular that got on the reserves, anyone you think that should have made their way into the starting lineup or do you think they got it pretty well?
0: First, I want to address Jason Tatum replacing Kevin Durant. Uh, I think you may think this is just small, but coming from a Celtics perspective, Jason Tatum has been so good the past couple of years. This year has been tough. He got COVID really early. And he even told uh, uh, Brad Stevens and the Celtics that he's not playing the same he was before COVID. And we saw that at the NFL with Cam Newton and other players that COVID takes a toll on you and it's different. I think Jason Tatum, take away COVID, he's averaging around 25 points per game. Uh, He's definitely had a, um, he's not been hot lately which is definitely unfortunate as the Celtics are still under 500. But I think if they get hot, Jason Tatum, it, the Celtics are going to be led by the three big Kemba Walker, Tatum, and Jalen Brown. We saw last night with Kemba Walker getting that 30 points that th- these are the big three. And I think uh, if I had to pick one of them to actually make the starter, it would be Jason Tatum. And the only reason why is Jalen Brown. Uh, this is his first selection. So, Hard to go to make the stars your first selection unless you're Luka Doncic who's uh nailing uh threes, uh, game winner. <laughs> but uh, Kemba Walker, a lot of people thought could have made the all star game, but with him being injured for the first maybe about 20 games, uh, which was fortunate for the Celtics, uh, he he's um hasn't and he doesn't play back to back, he is only playing limited games, which is why he didn't make the all star stars or reserve list. So, Personally, I believe this um, is great that Tatum is getting an opportunity as a starter due to Durant getting injured. And uh, with the rest of the lineup in these, I think it's good. I mean, my only complaint is in the West with maybe uh, Jokic. Um, I think um, that Damian Lillard is a great player. Um, Maybe he's a starter. Um, So that's my thought on that, Jason.
2: Yeah, going on the topic of Damian Lillard, I think the only reason that Damian Lillard cannot replace Nikola Jokic is because Jokic is a frontcourt player and Damian Lillard is a guard. doesn't work out that way, but I actually do think that Damian Lillard got pretty disrespected there. It's tough for me to say that he's better than Luka, but he's been so much more valuable to his team than Luka, and I feel like they were very similar in the fan vote, the media vote, and the NBA player vote. But I think what should separate them is which team is doing better. If you look at the standings, the Blazers are 18 and 14, the Mavericks 15 and 16. Damian Lillard is leading his team to the sixth seed, the Mavericks are the ninth seed. So I think Damian Lillard is looking like the second best point guard in the league by far. Of course, Steph Curry, number one, that is undebatable. But Luca has been phenomenal this year. He was my MVP vote going into the year. That has changed, of course. But I would love to see Damian Learn start. It, it doesn't really matter. I feel like people shouldn't be taking the All-Star starters too seriously. Cause at the end of the day, it's not gonna put any like damage on their career and their legacy. So outside of that, I think they did a good job. I thought Anthony Davis would get a little more popularity than Nikola Jokic, but Jokic has been great this year. He's averaging career highs in points. He's around like what, 27? And before he was around like the 20 range. And he's getting he's getting like double figures and rebounds and like seven to eight assists. So he can get triple doubles pretty much every night. And then the East, I'm pretty happy with all that. Bradley Beal, I love that they gave him the respect he deserves, averaging 33 points a game, um, showing that he's among some of the best shooting guards scoring wise in a single season. And then Embiid, Giannis, and KD picking them, that's fine. Uh, They're the three best front court players in the East. And then Jason Tatum getting in, Brandon touched on him. But my only complaint, Kyrie to James Harden, it's very close. I know Harden is 10 times better than Kyrie, like when you, you know, look at ranking the players. But I mean, Kyrie's been a bucket getter this year. So he, he's very well deserving of that. He's averaging, what, 27, 28. But James Harden, he has risen on the MVP list for a lot of people. I have him in my top five because of how viable he is. He's looking at the floor general. I remember a few weeks ago, Kyrie told James Harden, you're the point guard, I'm the shooting guard. And that's worked out pretty well. Harden's averaging 11 assists and almost 78 rebounds, so it's working out very well, and I'm pretty happy with it. Just maybe Kyrie to Harden and then Luka to Dame is where I would change. Also and I coaches. want to add
0: on that uh, Damian Lillard note, and I we both agree that Damian Lillard got snubbed, and actually one person in particular who also agrees it's LeBron James. He actually said that uh, he got snubbed, and that um, he should have been snubbed, but what Jason said was at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're a starter or a reserve. You're playing, maybe you get a little bit more uh, uh, fan population because you're a starter, but at the end of the day, you're playing in the all-star game and people know that you're one of the best uh, players in the league, and the players in the conference of the league. But I think people take the NBA starters too seriously. Oh, AD didn't make it. Oh, I think he's better than Jokic. Well, you know what? Jokic had more points. Maybe it should be about Uh, just maybe they should move from starters to reserve and just a pool of about 20 ish players. And then whoever is the head coach, he can make the decision. And I don't think it should be the fans and the media making a decision because fans don't really know, especially this year. Perfect example. We have no fans. How do they know if their player is doing well, their player could go off. Damian Lourdes going off. He didn't make a Jason Tatum, he's been decent. He just was able to sneak in because of an injury. So I personally believe that the all-star game is always rigged. No one ever tries and that they either should get rid of it or it should not be fan voting for the stars.
2: Yeah. There's actually a lot of people who did not like the idea of the all-star game. Like of course, if they were chosen, they would elect to play in it. But LeBron, when he was asked by some reporters about whether or not they should have an all-star game this year, he thought it was a pretty dumb idea. Even also a, uh, De'Aaron Fox, uh, the, new, the young star guard for the Sacramento Kings, he's pretty against it. He was, he like ranted in this interview um, a few weeks ago. So the player association led by um, President Chris Paul um, and the NBA PA, they wanted to make it happen. They did and uh, no season is really complete without an all-star game. And also um, I do think that maybe if you hand the voting to the coaches instead of the fans, that does change it and makes it a bit more accurate. For example, the fans were voting Clay Thompson, who hasn't played a single game this year, into the top 10 guards for the West. Also seen with Alex Caruso, a backup guard for the Lakers, who's been memed many times throughout his career, just because of the popularity, even Carmelo Anthony. I wouldn't call him washed, but he's not a star at all. So he, I don't know how he made his way into the voting. Even last year we saw Taco Fall make the top 10 um, front court for the East. So uh, the fans are just, Trying to have fun, but it's not that funny when um, it's the best of the best. All-star coaches were selected a little while ago. The West is Quinn Snyder of the Utah Jazz, who are the best team record-wise in the NBA, saying at twenty-six and seven. They did lose to the Miami Heat last night, but Quinn Snyder this year he has taken the Jazz up a notch, way ahead of the Lakers and the Clippers in the uh, Western Conference, and the East. Doc Rivers, new team this year with Philly and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. He is able to work very well with them, bring Embiid to that MVP level and number one seed in the East. And he is the coach. Do you think there was right selections or any other coaches you had in mind that should have you know, been the All-Star coach? Yeah, so I, uh, this is actually one of
0: the parts I enjoy about the All-Star. I think this is probably one of the parts that get right the most. It's they pick whoever, whichever team has the best record at a certain day. And I think that's right because this coach is leading this team to win. They're not, you're not picking just a, you're not picking out a hat, a random coach. You pick the best of the best. I think hands down these are uh, two best coaches because they have the two best teams. Uh, Utah has been so great. Yes. You could say, Oh, maybe Frank Vogel should get it. Cause the Lakers are top and they were champions last year. I like, Having new players, new coaches, different, having the same every year and same with the players, it just gets boring. Seeing LeBron, like, every year getting voted, yes, that's fun, but, like, having Luca, who's in his second year, it's nice to get the young stars. So I think that's good, and I'd also want to just point out uh, from listening to Dange, Celtics uh, president on 985 Sports Hub, he said, he actually preferred uh, his players don't go to the All-Star game. He said he wished they weren't, he wished it wasn't happening, but he said, I'm not going to force them because this is their uh, choice. They can do what they want. But I believe its schedule has been so hectic. And taking a look from this past uh, two months with Kemba playing every other game and with injuries and COVID, I really don't think this is the best year to have an All-Star game. I personally believe, the All-Star game should get canceled. And it's just going to cause more chaos. There's going to be a lot of COVID. I think the positivity rate is going to go higher after this with players. And uh, we saw the NFL, they skipped the Pro Bowl this year. And uh, I think it was a smart decision. I think uh, the NBA is going to regret doing this. They have shortened it to just one day instead of the weekend. But I personally believe that the
2: All-Star game should not happen this year. To me... I understand your point, but I'm going to have to respectfully disagree and say that an All-Star game really does complete an NBA season for me. Like, when a season's all said and done, I can't imagine that you're not having an All-Star game. And all those events on Saturday night, of course, it's been modified to just one night. with The slam dunk contest, the skills challenge, the three-point contest. I think that really completes the season um, outside of the NBA finals. And... They've actually canceled the Rising Stars matchup, which I agree with that decision. Uh, But last year I really liked that matchup with when Luka Doncic and Trey Young, um, the two best players from the 2019 draft class, I remember they were hitting half court shots back to back and it was a great game. Zion was throwing down dunks as a rookie, same with John Morant. But it's good to have um, just one game. Uh, It's a little risky, but the NBA seems very committed at least uh, Chris Paul, president of NBA PA, like I mentioned before, I I'm a little surprised Adam Silver has not chimed in, but um, I'm happy that there's an all-star game, just hope that it is safe, and then just quickly thoughts on the coaches, we got a little off topic there, um, best of the best, like Brendan mentioned, two best coaches in each conference, record-wise, it makes sense, um, I think if Frank Vogel was in the Eastern Conference, I would have actually given it to him, because Yes, he has LeBron James. Yes, he has Anthony Davis. But he's been able to put his team together pretty well. Like You see a lot of coaches, they just lay back and let their, um, you know, let their star players play. I don't really want to throw any shots at any coaches, but I'm actually going to do it. An example is Bruce Arians with Tom Brady, just letting him sit back and do his thing. Uh, He's not doing it the Patriot way. Even Bruce Arians was taking shots at Bill Belichick for that. Bill Belichick is all over Tom Brady, every single play, um, make sure, making sure he does the right thing. Bruce Arians just sits back, watches him play, makes a few adjustments. They barely even talk to each other during the game from what I've seen. So um, Frank Vogel has been actually pretty good, even with stars, but Doc Rivers, he has a great legacy as a player and as a coach, winning a ring as the head coach of the Celtics in 2008. And then Quinn Snyder, um, making Donovan Mitchell a superstar, which, um, you really do love to see. Uh, we're gonna stick on the topic of All-Stars, a few more discussions there. Uh, our favorite team, the Boston Celtics, like you mentioned, two All-Stars, Jason Tatum, now inserted into the starting lineup. He was initially drafted as a, or selected as a reserve. And then Jalen Brown, um, also a reserve, making his first All-Star appearance, both players averaging 25 points per game, career highs by a mile for both of them. So, um, we say big congrats to Jason and Jalen. And do you think that it was the right decision to get the two J's in the all-star game for the Boston Celtics?
0: Uh 100% uh, right decision. I have no regret over this uh, because the NBA all-star game is going to happen. I personally believe with COVID it shouldn't, but it is going to happen and I'm moving on from that. I think uh, this is a great opportunity. Like I mentioned, I want these young players like Moran and, um, Luca and Jalen Brown and Zion Williamson. We didn't touch on the uh, reserves yet, but getting these young guys I think is really key because um, this is going to be the new next transition. Uh, maybe the next 10 years of who what the NBA is going to be like. LeBron James, we know he's uh, old. He's going to retire. 80 is starting to get there. We know Chris Paul. Uh, I think that having these young guys is actually good with the old guys and good mix. And I. I think it was the right decision. And moving on to the reserves, the East with Harden, Simmons, Jalen Brown, uh, Nikola Vucevic, Julius Randle, Zach Levine, uh, DeMontis Sabonis is replacing KD um, on the bench as Tatum is going up. And in the West, we got AD. He won't play, so Devin Booker replace him. Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, Paul George, Zion Williamson, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. Uh, along with the uh, starters. Uh, Jason, you uh, fan these uh, picks and uh, head on into your snubs.
2: I think that this is one of the better years for um, at least picking the players. There were a few players that I am very disappointed didn't make it, um, at least before the injuries. I was really mad that Devin Booker didn't make it, but it's all been resolved now since Anthony Davis has been out. So feeling a little better about that. And Sabonis, he was a big snub for me. He was my number one snub for the East, um, because I didn't really expect someone like Ben Simmons, Nikola Vucevic, or Julius Randle to make the Eastern Conference all-star team. I think Sabonis, who made it last year, was well-deserving. He's the best player on um, a team that is in the playoff picture. Um, But my my, uh, only concern would be Vucevic, Randle, and Ben Simmons. I was a little surprised by that. And I'll go into my snub for the East. I really want to say Trey Young here, but I can't because his team is the 11th seed. Trey Young has been phenomenal. Um, he is shooting lights out. He is a great floor general. He's averaging in like the mid 20 points, like 25, 26, last time I checked uh, a few days ago, and around nine assists. But His defense has always been lackluster, not a big fan of it. And there's one guy in the East who is a complete player that I'm going to take as my number one snub, um, who is behind Sabonis, and that is Chris Middleton of the Milwaukee Bucks, the second best player on the three seed in the Eastern Conference, who is averaging like what, 20 points, six rebounds, six assists, as uh, last time I checked. And he was shooting 50-40-90 club, which guys only like Steph Curry and Kevin Durant can really say that they've done... In their NBA careers, 50% from the field, 40% from three, and 90% from the line. That's like as efficient as you can get. And Chris Middleton has got that. And he's a very complete player who is a two-way threat. Um, Trey Young is would be my number two guy there, and Bam Adebayo number three. And if these two, these actually maybe three players: Jimmy Butler, Russell Westbrook, and Kemba Walker, they played more games. I could see them getting a lot more. Um popularity in this, because, I mean, if Jimmy played every single game this year, I think you could argue that he's a starter because of what he did last year in the playoffs. Playoff Jimmy was something special that um, we hope to see again in these playoffs, as long as they don't play the Celtics, of course. And West, for me, it really stinks that I see Anthony Davis and Damian Lillard on the bench, because those are two of the best players in the world right now. 80s out, so it's not going to make too big a difference, but Damian Lillard on the bench, I hope he drops 50 off the bench for the West. Well, actually, there will be an all-star draft coming up later this week, so we don't know which team he'll be on, either team LeBron or team Kevin slash Giannis. We don't really know what it is. Um, And players that I did not really want to make it in there, Rudy Gobert is not deserving of an all-star spot. Last year, you can make the argument, but for me, I don't think he was there. He is the best defender in um, the NBA, arguably. I think he's top three for sure. It's That part's not too debatable, but I don't think he's my Defensive Player of the Year as of now. And one guy I really wanted to see in there was uh, Brandon Ingram of the New Orleans Pelicans who made it last year, um, taking a big improvement as he's in a little less pressure situation with a young court in New Orleans instead of playing with LeBron. And he was traded for Anthony Davis along of course with Lonzo Ball, uh, Josh Hart and some picks. So, I think um, Brandon Ingram should have made it over Rudy Gobert. I think he probably would be in a wild card spot. And just the guys that I'm really happy that made it this year, that if they didn't make it, I would be really mad. Uh, Zion Williamson is averaging 25 points. You cannot um, take him out of there. Then Donovan Mitchell, the best player on the best team in the league, very well-deserved. You could even argue that he's a starter. I wouldn't put him ahead of Dame, Luca or Steph, but I think he's in the argument and he's a top-four guard. Um, in the West for that conversation, so um, Milton and Ingram, for me, are my big snubs, and I'm a little more content with the West than the East.
0: Alright, I'll give my snubs, I
2: guess.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna uh, have to debate with Jason on the East, and I really think Trey Young uh, got snubbed. He, uh, he showed it against the Celtics a couple of days ago when they had their demanding winner with the Celtics. Uh, he's just making shots after shots. And uh, I think uh, basically that game against Celtics was a message to the NBA world, the fans, the players, the media saying, hey, I got snubbed. This is what I can do. And you should regret your decision. And I think um, if there's another injury that happens to come up, which I don't think, he would be the next player that would get it. Um, I agree with Jason about uh, Sabonis. And I just don't think Rand, Julius Randle and Zach Levine—they're okay. I mean, Zach Levine is a good dunker, but other than that, he's not that great. I'd rather see Trey Young than uh, Julius Reynolds, Zach Levine. In the West, I think Rudy Gobert. Uh, Jason touched on this. He's an okay player who's much better last year. And I mean, he he gets a couple of rebounds here and there. He gets uh, he can shoot, uh, just like Tice. But like, I don't really think Rudy Bear deserves to be in the All Star game
2: yeah one thing that um I think one guy has been very underrated this year that is very well deserving an all-star before moving to our next topic is Zach Levine averaging 29 points on a Bulls team that is actually a half a game outside the playoff picture believe it or not and they're even missing Larry marketing for most of their games Wendell Carter was out um for a few weeks and Zach Levine's been putting that team on his back he's dropped 40 so many times this year Yet his team does fall short um, many times. 15-17 record, though, is nothing to complain about. And being the best player on that team, averaging close to 30, which is top five in the league, is very impressive from Zach Levine. And uh, Brandon, if you have anything to add before we move in, move on to the NFL, who's your West nub? I think we need to get to that.
0: Uh, yeah, I actually forgot. Um, my West nub is John Moran. Uh, We saw him last in the Rising Star game against Zion Williamson. Zion Moran, uh, probably two of the best rookies last year, and uh, he definitely got snubbed in my book. Moving on, the NFL. (laughs) It seems like it's crazy, but it also doesn't. Uh, Great line from Ian Rappaport. He said, "Uh, the QB carousel right now is stuck in the mud, and that's because the New York Jets aren't going to trade Sam Darnold until they make a decision during the draft. So that's not going to be until April, at least two more months. So the Sean Watson uh, uh, craziness in Houston hasn't been happening. Uh, We heard recently uh, Watson talking to new um, head coach David Culley about saying, hey, I want to be traded, first of all, reiterating that, and also saying, if you keep me on this roster, I'm going to sit out. So I wonder if that will spark any interest. Uh, We also heard this week the Texans releasing JJ Watt. This is all because they are limited in cap space, and um, they need it after last night's um, tweet from Adam Schefter saying that Duke Johnson is uh, being released. Um, Actually, he's being being released, so they need some money that they got from uh, Watt to take over that and hopefully pay Watson because uh, otherwise, if they lose Watson, they're going to be in a, Huge um, pickle. Um, we also know the Texans. They, uh, they brought in Nick Asario, who was the former um, player personnel for the Patriots under Bill Belichick. He's now the G- new GM under David Culley. And the biggest news I'll let Jason talk about was uh, uh, Carson Wentz getting traded. Jason, tell them, the viewers, uh, where do you go?
2: Yeah, Carson Wentz to the Indianapolis Colts. For me, not a big fan of this trade for the Colts. Surprisingly, a lot of people are saying the Colts are winning the trade. I disagree. The Eagles are clearing so much cap space here. 32 million on average per year was that from that big extension, four-year, 128 million dollar extension is what he signed um pretty recently and um the Eagles definitely win the trade. They're also getting a third-round pick um this upcoming year which is the 85th pick and a conditional second round pick next year in 2022 it actually could become a first round pick if one of the following happens or both Carson Wentz plays 75% of the Colts offensive snaps or Wentz plays 70% of the snaps and the Colts make the playoffs and overall I don't think the Colts won the trade at all like I mentioned I think he's a downgrade over an aging Phillip Rivers and Looking at the Eagles side of things, I'm actually pretty excited for their future. They seem to make better decisions in the drafts. For example, taking Jalen Rager right before Justin Jefferson is a huge loss. And taking someone like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside over D.K. Metcalf the prior year. Um, There's many decisions that they regret. I mean, coming from a Patriots fan, we make even more mistakes taking Nikhil Harry over D.K. Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Deontay Johnson, and Terry McLaurin, which I hate to say, but it is true. But... I think the Eagles, they are definitely committing to Jalen Hurts. I'd be very surprised if they take a quarterback in this draft. I know been, there's been a lot of memes about, you know, the Eagles, they move on for Carson Wentz, and they're going to draft someone at, like, what, number six? They're going to take, I don't know, like, Mac Jones or Justin Fields. So I hope that the Eagles stay with Jalen Hurts because, I mean, I want the Patriots to draft Mac Jones if they can. But I think that the Eagles are going in a good future. Don't expect them to make the playoffs quite next year. Um, that division is an entire mess. So to be honest, anything can happen, but Eagles win the trade. And then just a few notes on the Houston Texans thing. I wanted to add a little input there. Deshaun Watson, he has been lied to by that Texans organization. Um, He signed a four-year $160 million contract um, going into this past season. And he played up to that hype. The team did not because he has nobody around him that can perform well besides JJ Watt, who was cut. And With Deshaun Watson, his value, you can call him a top five quarterback and his contract. He's like the second or third most valuable player, his contract, like to anyone in the NFL. I'd only put Josh Allen, maybe, and then obviously Patrick Mahomes ahead of him when we're talking about that. So I think if we saw what Matthew Stafford's price was, Jared Goff, two firsts and a third, I can't imagine what a price for Deshaun Watson would be. It would be close to four or five first round picks, some star players and some more picks which is really hard to believe. This is going to be a blockbuster deal, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in NFL history. But my problem is with this, will he get traded at all? Because, I mean, the Texans, they don't want to move him. But Deshaun, he might want to hold out, kind of like what Ezekiel Elliott did before he got an extension uh, back in 2019. So if Deshaun Watson does get dealt, I think that teams to, that you could go to are the Bears, the, uh, maybe the Dolphins, the Jets, the Panthers, the Broncos, but it's funny with the Bears because they took Mitchell Trubisky over Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes in 2017 with a second overall pick. So the Bears, they could have already had Deshaun Watson. This would have never happened. And um, it's going to be crazy if this trade goes down. I personally don't think it will happen, unfortunately. I'm hoping he does get traded just for the sake of Deshaun Watson. As an NFL fan, I wish the best for him. But I don't know where he's gonna end up. And then J.J. Watt surprised he got cut but not Deshaun Watson like JJ Watt respectfully asked for release they said yes Deshaun Watson he's probably done the same so many times saying nope we want to keep you which I find very disturbing as JJ Watt just got out within two seconds and I'm excited to see where Watt goes maybe he'll join his two brothers in Pittsburgh uh TJ Watt um who should have won uh DPOI but went to Aaron Donald and also his um, other brother Derek Watt who is a fullback for the Steelers and I'm expecting him to go either to like the Steelers maybe the Packers because of you know where he went to college in Wisconsin and I'm excited to see what happens and the cuttings of Duke Johnson uh, and also center Nick Martin were big and for David Cully I want to touch on him just for like a little less than a minute 65 um, year old coach it's not even a five-year plan what is this they go from Bill O'Brien who messed up that entire team with DeAndre Hopkins trade. Then they go to Romeo Cornell, who's like, what, past 70 years old? And now they went to a 65-year-old? The Texans are a complete mess. Their, their coaching system has been bad. Their entire organization, they're lying to Deshaun Watson. They're saying, you know, you're going to have a big say in what's going to happen this offseason. Then the prior year, you traded away, arguably the best receiver in football, DeAndre Hopkins, in one of the greatest event events of all time, in J.J. Watt. And now he definitely has the right to want out. Brandon, anything to add to that? Yeah.
0: Took a lot from what you said. And I really think this Deshaun Watson situation is crazy. Uh, like Jason mentioned, it's going to cost so much. It actually started before Carson Wentz got treated to the, uh, Colts, uh, with the whole Stafford, um, and Jared Goff. I don't know if we really touched upon this, but, uh, that cost way too much for Jared Goff uh and to get Matthew Stafford I and mean. and that goes that oh everyone else must be higher and after what happened to Wentz and Goff and Stafford whatever it's going to cost so much for Watson then no one's going to want him um on a different hand i don't know if JJ Watt will go to green bay as they have cap issues um, I personally think he'll go to Pittsburgh. And with my prediction on who won the Carson Wentz trade, it's the Eagles. The future in Philadelphia is Jalen Hurts. I think a lot of Philly fans are excited for that. And uh, I'm excited for uh, what they can do and maybe hope they can get some offense. They did lose Alshon Jeffrey last year to the Vegas Raiders. And I think uh, I'd be very shocked if they pick a, a QB. We'll talk more about the NFL draft. Couple weeks, we're hoping to get uh, ESPN senior writer Mike Reese to join us, and uh, hopefully we'll have time to chat about that and with him or uh, just uh, the three of us. So uh, uh, that'll be excited. And with that, we're gonna wrap up the episode. Cam usually does our NHL updates, and uh, I'll, I'll take a, take it for him. So uh, if you're a big hockey fan, you may have heard the Lake Tahoe outdoor games. Uh, the Bruins were able to participate. In Uh, The goal is to incorporate fans to outdoor games because um, places like the Garden um, in Boston weren't allowing fans. We have heard fans will be coming back to Boston uh, in one month, so that'll be awesome. Um, So they played, they actually won 7-3 against the Flyers. The other game that happened was the Avalanche winning 3-2 against the Golden Knights. Uh, And if you've been following the Lake Tahoe games, you knew that that had a long delay to the ice issues they because they played outside uh it started to melt and uh it wasn't a nine hour delay so that was uh, a long break and actually forced the Bruins uh game to move from the afternoon to the evening um Bruins have actually um been in tough shreds uh the last two games they've been playing like the Celtics uh getting blown out they lost seven two and six two uh the last two games uh Part of it has been injury, so a lot of people have said, oh, they're like the Celtics. Uh, Not quite. Celtics had all their star players and just performed badly. Bruins, they've been losing a lot of players. But uh, I have heard uh, reports that today the Bruins claim defenseman, Jared Tenorti, I think I'm saying his name right, off waivers uh, from the Predators. Um, Hopefully he will be able to help the Bruins uh, come get some more wins with that, I'll
2: hand it off to Jason. Yeah, one thing to touch, the Lake Tahoe games were pretty successful. And um, for the Bruins, they've had a lot of outdoor games. Some of them not to remember, um, but one that we did remember before this was the one against the Flyers at Fenway Park, which we love to see. The Gillette Stadium one, those were the best jerseys I've ever seen for any winter classic game. Unfortunately, we lost. Then in Chicago, we played outdoor there. Lost, but now in Lake Tahoe, Bruins take home a win versus the Flyers, same team they beat in the Family Park game. And um my favorite moments was David Poshnak in his interview, um, talking about how they're listening to Barbie the Barbie girl song in the locker room, which was um a great memory. And I'm hoping that the NHL love more outdoor games. And other than that, um NHL season has been going pretty well. As for me as a Bruins fan, we're doing pretty well. Um MLB, a lot of moves. Going on, uh, the season's actually um, starting soon. Spring training starts tomorrow on February 28th. Um, to point out some of the biggest offseason moves within the last three weeks, Carlos Correa is returning to the Houston Astros on about one year, uh, $11.7 million on the contract. The 17-year vet, Yadier Molina, he's staying in St. Louis to play with the Cardinals, one year, $9 million. Chris Archer, he got dealt by the Rays a few years ago to the Pirates, then he was a free agent. He's coming back to Tampa, um, the team that made the um, World Series but lost six point five million dollars is what he'll make over one season. For the Red Sox, um, I'm a little disappointed in this move. Uh, I wasn't really expecting it, but who knows? The Red Sox are blowing up their entire team. It all started with the Mookie Betts trade, and it's just going downhill from here. Andrew Benintendi to the Kansas City Royals in the three-team trade, also involving the New York Mets. The Red Sox are expected to get uh, Franchi Cordero, uh, who's an outfielder, and then pitcher Josh Winkowski. A lot of many more deals going on, but um, we are not really getting into that because it would take a very while to go through that. But I said the biggest news in the MLB, Fernando Tatis Jr., 14-year, $340 million extension with the San Diego Padres. He's their franchise player is what they are saying. Um, I feel like um, he definitely deserved um, the contract. I didn't expect it to be that much money or... That many years, but he d- deserved extension no matter what the numbers were. Um, number moves are still starting to go down each day as the season is getting closer. Um, opening day is expected to be April first, and a big season is coming up that will be one that we will all remember.
0: The Boston Red Sox will actually be able to host opening day. Uh, once again, they don't usually do it as it's so cold here in Boston. They like to uh, MLB likes to have the warmer. Uh, team's uh, host, but the Boston Red Sox will host on opening day against the Baltimore Orioles and we'll get more into details about their upcoming season as we get closer, but uh, exciting news as spring training is starting this weekend, as Jason mentioned, tomorrow. That's it for episode 20. That's crazy. We're 20 episodes in. We've had some great guests, including today's Elizabeth Fajoda. One more time, we're going to thank her for uh, joining us she does so much and as i mentioned earlier i'll uh, leave a link to her twitter and um check her out on revolutionsoccer.net she has um some great stuff and uh jason anything
2: else you want to add nope i think it was uh actually yeah, i'll say a few things a great episode glad to have elizabeth on and i enjoyed those discussions especially ranting on the houston texans
0: <laughs> I think uh, we both enjoyed ranting. It was the NBA All Star Game or the Houston Texans, and uh, we can't wait to be back in the stadium. That's right, one more time in one month. Uh, Governor Baker announced yesterday that uh, fans will be welcome back in about one month. So uh, that'll be great. I think uh, all the teams of Boston could uh, use um, an extra man cheering them on, and we're getting excited for that. Uh, And check out the Revolution social media channel. This Tuesday, they'll be releasing their upcoming Away Uniform, so that's exciting. And that's it. Uh, Remember to uh, like, subscribe on YouTube. Also follow us on Instagram. We're uh, trying to keep up with posting on there. Uh, It's been tough. But we uh, would love some fan questions. If anyone wants some fan questions, so uh, we'll put out a poll on Instagram this week about fan questions. That's it. Episode 20 is over and we will hopefully see you soon on the next episode of the podcast.